Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study each Sunday morning. At It's posted at 9.30, which is the time that the Sunny Slope Church of Christ comes together to study God's Word in Bible classes every Sunday morning. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street right here in Omaha. 3606 North 108th Street. Now, our Bible classes begin on Sunday morning at 9.30, as we said, but they're followed by worship at 10.30, and then Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock, we come back together to be together for another period of worship and Bible study. On Wednesday evenings, middle of the week, good time to kind of set aside our busy schedules for a little bit. We come back together each Wednesday evening at 6.30 for midweek Bible classes kind of helps get our spiritual batteries recharged or maybe stay charged. Well, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and be with us in person. Check us out. Get to know us. Let us get to know you. Many people have done that over the years, and many have stayed along with us to keep studying God's Word and grow spiritually to become Christians. Well, We know that there are a lot of people, though, even in the Omaha area, who cannot be with us for one reason or another. Maybe there's a schedule problem. They can't be with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 for our Bible classes. Maybe they have a handicap of some kind. Maybe there's a physical problem or a health problem that keeps them from being able to get out. Whatever the case, we're, we're thankful that we have the opportunity to present God's Word on such a widespread basis over the medium of the Internet and by means of these podcasts. We know also that there are people who listen to our Bible studies across this country and literally around the world through the Internet by means of these podcasts. So we're thankful that we have the opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to teach God's Word on this widespread, worldwide basis. We're thankful. We're thankful that you want to be with us in God's Word and study and learn and grow spiritually. The Scriptures, and we keep emphasizing this, they tell us that faith comes, it is developed, it grows, it stays strong through God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. And we encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can. You know people in your life who need to get into God's Word, probably some within your own family, in fact. So share these studies with them through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. With your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can all the time. You may help somebody turn their life around and get to heaven. What a great blessing that will be for them, but it will also be a great blessing for you. Also, tell everybody, and take advantage of this yourself, go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It is free, always will be free. We're not after people's wallets. We just want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. And when someone signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, and they will receive a daily Monday through Friday radio program that we call Search the Scriptures, and it does exactly that. And they'll also receive a a seven-day-a-week short Bible class. We call that today's Bible class. Only about 13 minutes each day, but it keeps us in God's Word every day. 
So all of this will automatically go to their smart device, their smartphone, computer, laptop, tablet, pad, whatever they choose. And again, it will always be free. So tell everybody you can and take advantage of it yourself. We're going to finish up our study from the book of Deuteronomy. This is the fifth book in what is called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, generally understood to have been written by Moses. Most of it, the very end of Deuteronomy, we understand uh, somebody else, God chose somebody else to finish out that book because Moses was going to be dead. And so somebody else would finish out the last bit of that, that book. But we understand Moses to have been guided by God to have written these first five books of the Old Testament. Talking about first the creation and then the history of mankind from uh, the, the garden after man had fallen into sin, through the flood, Noah's day, and then the regeneration of mankind after the flood. And then when God began in Genesis chapter 12 to develop a people through the bloodline of Abraham, and that would transpire over hundreds and hundreds of years, and ultimately that, that bloodline would become the people of Israel. God would lead them to the promised land that he had promised to them through their forefathers, going all the way back to Abraham, and that would become the nation of Israel. And through that bloodline, the Israelites, God would send the Savior into the world. Jesus, Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 3, was born in the bloodline of the Jews, of the Israelites. And he brought the gospel message of salvation to mankind. Well, again, we're finishing up that fifth book of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, and we're coming to that closing chapter where Moses dies. Now remember, Moses was not going to be allowed to enter the promised land because he and his brother Aaron had taken glory for themselves when God produced water for the people while still in the wilderness. Now that would go back some years probably. Aaron had already died in the wilderness. Moses, God used Moses to bring the people all the way to the border of the promised land, and that would, was the eastern bank of the Jordan River. Crossing the Jordan River, they would enter that land and begin a series of battles to conquer the land and displace or destroy the inhabitants of that land who were idol worshipers, did not did not follow God. And so Moses is there. God has already taken him up to Mount Nebo and told him, look over across the Jordan River into the promised land. God allowed Moses to see that land, but he would not allow him to cross that river into that land as judgment for taking God's glory while still back in the wilderness. So chapter 34, beginning with verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan. Showed him all the land that was described within those boundaries. 
all Naphtali in the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south, and the plain, and the plain, uh, valley of Jericho, oh, I'm sorry, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. I suspect God gave Moses some supernatural insight here because it sounds like he allowed him to see the broad spectrum of the land of what would be Israel, the land of Canaan at that time. He allowed him to see the land. Then the Lord said to him, verse 4, this is the land which I, of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Now, Abraham, Abraham was the beginning of the bloodline. Abraham's son, Isaac, was that son through whose bloodline God continued the covenant that he had made with Abraham and continued then to fulfill the promise that he had made to Abraham of his giving, ultimately giving this land, we call it the promised land because it was promised through to Abraham all the way back then, hundreds and hundreds of years before. And so God promised Abraham, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. He renewed that promise, that covenant to Isaac, Abraham's son, and then through also Jacob, Isaac's son. Jacob then had 12 sons who became the, the fathers, the forefathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And through their descendants, then the nation of Israel grew. And by the time Moses led them out of Egypt and into the wilderness to Mount Sinai to receive the law from God, that number of the descendants of Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, and Jacob's sons probably numbered somewhere around one to three million souls. So here they are. Moses leads them over another period of about 40 years through the wilderness and now they're ready to enter that land and begin the conquest thereof. God fulfilled his promise. A lot of times, and here's a lesson for us about the power of prayer, but also about the foreknowledge and wisdom of God. Especially in our culture, in our country right now, as I've described it, we have a microwave mentality. Now, what do I mean by that? We want things right now. We don't have to wait. I remember, and I've, I've talked about this different times in teaching, I remember when there was no such thing as microwave, microwavable foods. There were no microwave dinners. There were no microwave, no microwavable you know, bits of, of meals, such as pancakes or waffles or or, or Pop-Tarts or anything like that. There was there's just nothing, no vegetables. There, there were no microwaves. <laughs> that technology had not yet been invented. And so you would cook dinner or make sandwiches every evening. Every evening. 
If you were eating at home during the day, you'd, you'd cook. And I remember when microwave dinners were first introduced in the market. And my, what an innovation. How they were embraced by the public. Here is, here is a virtually instant dinner, it was thought. It, you have it in just a matter of 45 minutes. <laughs> you think any of us would want to wait 45 minutes for a microwavable meal or portion thereof today? No, we want it in three or four minutes. We don't want to, and certainly we don't want to wait more than 10 minutes, any more than that, many more than we'd have to. We want it within three or four minutes. That's our microwave mentality. But that's carried out in our focus on life in general. We want things right now. And when it comes to praying to God, we want things right now. God, please answer this prayer now, quickly. I'd, but God knows the right time, the right time. Now, if you trace back the years from the time that God led the Israelites into the promised land through Joshua, Joshua, as we've already read in Deuteronomy, the last couple of chapters, God chose Joshua to take the mantle of Moses and be the actual human leader who would lead the people across that Jordan River and into the promised land and lead them in the battles of conquest of that land. If you trace back the, the, the years, the number of years from Abraham to this point, you're looking at over 800 years. But God still fulfilled his promise. Now, why did it take 800 years? God knew the right time. And perhaps there were some bumps along the road where people God was using messed up, and God had to give them time to repent and change their, change their ways. But it was over 800 years. But God, at the right time, and we, we, we see this kind of phrase in the Scriptures repeatedly, in the fullness of the times, or something along those lines, depending on the wording and how it's translated. And what that, what that means is, in the fullness of the times, that means literally at the right time. When we think about when God sent Jesus into this world, it was at the right time. Now, I suspect if the people of Israel had stayed faithful to God all the way through the Old Testament times, God might have sent Jesus a whole lot sooner than he did. But he had to continually deal with the Israelites, their unfaithfulness, their weak faith, their ungodliness, their worship of idols, and on and on and on. But at the right time, he sent Jesus into the world. At that time, the Romans, the Roman government had, and their military had basically conquered the, the known world. There was, for the most part, peace. But also, through their dominance, there was tremendous commerce maritime as well as overland, even a system of roads, culture had developed. When Jesus came, there was basically a universal language, the Greek, 
And so communication was much easier than it would become hundreds of years later. And then it had been, and then it was hundreds of years before. God knows the right time. And so a lot of times people become impatient with God. They see a need in their lives, at least a perceived need, and they pray to God about it. And they may pray, pray to him, you know, again, and maybe again, somewhere along the line, they get frustrated with God because he hasn't given them what they wanted. But he knew the right time. And if they'll stay faithful, continue to trust him, they can find out that God will grant them according to his will what he sees that they need at the right time. When we come back then, that was a bit of a side, an aside, okay? So, verse 4, again, Deuteronomy chapter 34, Then the Lord said to Moses, This is the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. So, and he did, hundreds and hundreds of years later. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, God that is, buried him, Moses, in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Interesting, isn't it? That last, that last bit of, of, of information, God buried Moses. Joshua, the next leader of Israel, was not, did not bury Moses. The priests of the Israelites did not bury Moses. The people did not gather around his gravesite for a funeral service. God buried Moses. Notice, in a valley. What valley? We're not told. In a valley, in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. That's intrigued me. That's intrigued me. For a great many years, God did not allow the people of Israel to know where he buried their leader, Moses. Now, why? That would be the natural question, wouldn't it? Why did God not, why did God not tell them where he buried Moses? Why did he not tell Joshua, call the people together? Because Moses has died and he needs to be buried. God did not do any of those things. Why? Remember again the continued warnings, instructions, commands through the book of Exodus, through Deuteronomy, God continually coming back to this instruction, to this command, stay away from idols. When I lead you into this land that I promise to you, you either destroy the peoples who live there in battle or you drive them out. Don't have anything to do with them because they are idol worshipers. 
And if you start to build relationships with them, they're going to become a thorn in your side. They're going to become a snare. They're going to become a temptation. And especially if you start intermarrying with them, they're going to lead you into the, into the practice of worshiping idols. And so God said, have nothing to do with them. If God, and, and this, was, this was the nature of a basic superstition within the minds of humanity in those days, in that ancient world. Now, it's still here in our time, our day and age today, to a great degree. But it was the prevailing, if you want to call it religious belief and practice back then. And the Israelites themselves, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons, they struggled mightily with the ungodly practice of idolatry for hundreds and hundreds of years themselves. It was very it, it, was, it was very difficult for them as a people to put the practice of worshiping idols completely out of their mindset. In fact, not until God allowed their enemies to conquer them and not just beat them, defeat them in battle hundreds of years after he led them into the promised land, but allowed that those enemies to actually take them out of their land and put them in bondage, carry them off into foreign lands and make them a captive people. Not until then did they finally, for once and for all, put the practice of worshiping idols completely out of their lives. If God had let the people know where he buried Moses, I think it's a pretty safe assumption they would have come to see that burial site as a holy place, a place to worship. They very possibly would have built a monument to Moses around it and worshiped there as if Moses was, for the, mo- for the most part, deity. It would become a religious site for them. And God had continually warned, continually instructed, continually commanded those people to stay away from any semblance of idol worship. And so I suspect very strongly that God did not allow them to know where he buried Moses because he could see in his omniscient, all-seeing, all-knowing mind that they would make that basically a place of idol worship, idol, idolizing Moses after his death. And God did not want that to happen. Now, that's my analysis. I may be totally wrong, but I think that's a pretty safe supposition.
to ultimately arrive at. Let's finish up the chapter here. Verse 6 again, he buried Moses in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. My, wasn't that something? We want to we want to extend life, physical life, as long as we can, don't we? But you know, as we get older and older, we, we start to feel the effects of age, don't we? The parts, <laughs> as I put it, start to wear out. So even now with our amazing medical technology of being able to replace knees and hips and shoulders and so on, we still age and we still find ourselves, our bodies, wearing down and ultimately wearing out. But Moses was 120 years old when he died, and his eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished at all. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for for, for Moses ended. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now I think we can understand Moses to have been a great man of faith in God, but he stumbled along the way. But Joshua was also a great man of faith in God. He was one of the two spies, the other being Caleb, who came back from the initial spying out of the promised land and said, with God's help, we can take this land. But the people listened to the other 10 spies who said, we can't do that. This is a hard land, big cities, fortified, giants live there. And so because of their weak faith, the weak faith of the people at large, God said, "Uh, okay, Moses, turn back take them into the wilderness, and they're going to wander around in the wilderness until for 40 years until the adult generations die off and the children grow up with stronger faith. So Joshua, the son of of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since then, There has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. But Jesus would be the next prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land. And by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel, God continually demonstrated his power and therefore his authority and his word communicated and displayed through his servant Moses. The power was not within Moses. The power was from God. And he enabled Moses to demonstrate God's power 
through the various plagues that he brought upon the land of Egypt, and in the different ways that Moses stood forth and leading the people through the wilderness for those 40 years. The power was from God. Moses was the servant. And we need to stop and think about that reality, that understanding of how God can use us today. He blesses us with our abilities and our capabilities. They come from God, not from us. And God wants to use us, I believe, in mighty ways, in his service, to ultimately fulfill his purpose for each one of us in our lives. Unfortunately, I'm afraid that most people simply do not let God use them as he wants to. How sad. How sad for us. Not for God. How sad for us. Well, that concludes our study of the book of Deuteronomy. We'll move ahead next time. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for blessing us with your word to guide us in your will. Father, thank you for the power that you have demonstrated through the various characters of Old Testament scriptures, history. Thank you for also sending your son into this world, demonstrating your power and authority in all that he claimed to be and all that he taught. Thank you for loving us so much that you sacrificed him in the cross as our Savior. And thank you that he lives today as our Savior. Father, help us to open our eyes to your reality, to your goodness, to your grace, to your mercy, to your being, the Almighty God. Praise, glory, honor, and thanks be to you, Father. Guide us to walk with you always in faithful obedience. Please forgive us, gracious Father. And hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.